Hello, this is Pastor Trent. I want to welcome you to the Mountain Home Church, the Nazarene Sermon Podcast. We are thrilled that you are tuning in to hear sermons from our ministries here at our church. It is our hope that the Spirit of Christ would be present with you as you listen today. I do want to take just a moment to invite you to reach out and connect with us. On our website, we have a way for you to do just that. You can visit www.mhnazarene.org slash connect and fill out a very brief form. There's a spot to leave contact info, ask questions, and even to request prayer. Also, be sure to indicate that you listen to us through our SoundCloud podcast to let us know where you're listening. May the Lord be with you this day. Grace and peace to you. grateful for children's workers who help these kids uh, learn in ways that are appropriate for their age and appropriate for their development. But it's good to worship with you as well. So thanks for, thanks for being here this morning. Uh, if you were here last week, uh, we started something that looks a, a little different, um, feels a little different. Uh, I wanted to take a quick uh, a peek into to Scripture uh, and, and to look at some transformation stories that we find there. Transformation stories that we find in the people of Scripture as we look into these pages and into these books and into these stories and narratives that we find uh, in the Bible. Our theme this year has, be, has been becoming new. That God wishes to transform us. And, and that that is, that is our foundation. The, the, the transformation that God does is the foundation of our journey with God. Uh, and so as we've done that, this theme of becoming new, has, has, we, we find some pretty amazing examples in the, in the pages of, of Scripture. So for the month of October, I just kind of wanted to focus and look at some of these transformation stories that we find in the Bible. Last week, we talked about Paul. Right, Saul, who became Paul, uh, he started as an enemy of the gospel of Christ, turned into active preacher, missionary, proponent of the gospel, leading many uh, to active and meaningful walks of faith in Christ. Um, started churches, places where people could gather uh, and get to know the truth of the truth of of following Christ um, in their lives. A, a great and powerful story. Um, today we're looking uh, at a different, a different character that we find in Scripture um, from a different testament of the Bible. We're going to look into the Old Testament. Today we're looking at the life of Esther, the life of Esther. A few quick um, notable things about the, not only the person but the book of Esther. Esther's kind of a tough book. Esther's kind of a tough book. First, it's the only book in the, in the Bible that fails to mention God. Did you know that? God is not mentioned in the book of Esther. Um, there seems to be God's presence there, um, and, and God seems to be, uh, could be testified as, as to uh, helping to arrange and situate some things, but not outright mentioned. The only book in the Bible that that's the case. Second, there are some tough things that we see and discover about people in the book of Esther. Even the heroes, even the heroes of the story have these sides, and we're going, hmm, hmm, okay, interesting. Um, really, the, the defense of the inclusion of the book uh, in, in the canon of Scripture 
um, mostly centers around the establishment of a Jewish holiday called Purim. And if you look at the end of the, the book, you'll read about Purim, not, not a holiday that probably many of us know about or celebrate. Um, I looked into it a little bit this week, but not something that I was, was familiar with, um, really. Um, and, and while we generally focus on a particular text and, and, we, and we read a text and we stand together, today we're not going to do that. But you can turn your Bibles to Esther. We're going to kind of land in several different spots through this book. So if you have a Bible or if you have a device that you like to look at Scripture, just turn to Esther and we're going to kind of stay with this book um, throughout the course of this message, looking at three, three or so different uh, passages um, that follow her story. Okay? So Esther's story is certainly one of transformation. Esther came from humble beginnings. She starts in a pretty bad place at the start of, at the start of this book. When we're, introduced, uh, when we're introduced to Esther, she comes from rough circumstances. Telford Work describes her as an orphaned cousin of an exiled people in a far-flung province of a shady empire. <laughs> she, she's just way, way out there. She was, a, she was a woman in a patriarchal world. She was an orphaned woman in a patriarchal world. It says her parents had died. Her parents were no longer. The, and in, in a system where family was the means by which people had opportunity, she had no family. And so her cousin brought her in. Um, she was orphaned um, and had no means. She was found in this province that had this horrible leader, <laughs> this horrible king, King Ahasuerus. Uh, if you're looking, I had an old translation that was King Xerxes, and, and uh, in this translation that I read today, it's King Ahasuerus. Um, and he had mistreated his previous wife. He had dismissed the queen because the queen hadn't followed his instructions, uh, and he was looking to replace her, okay? Uh, re replace his, his queen. Um, and this king kept accepting bad ideas from his advisors. His advisors would say, well, you should do this. And the king was like, okay, let's do that. Oh, now you should do this. Okay, let's do that. Um, and it's kind of this comical story of this king who had apparently great power and influence over his kingdom, but didn't really exercise it for any real good beneficial reasons. I, 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 I challenge you this week, every, every once in a while I give you a challenge. Read through the book of Esther. It's 10 chapters long. It doesn't take too terribly long to do it, um, but you'll find some interesting twists and turns um, in the book of Esther. I was reminded this, this week of these rags-to-riches stories. So Esther certainly is one of these kind of coming from humble beginnings into this position of, of status and notoriety. Um, and, and I remember, I, I grew up in Ontario, Oregon, which isn't too far, too far from here, but I remember stories about J.R. Simplot growing up right? Particularly in ninth grade. We liked J.R. Simplot because J.R. Simplot only had an eighth grade education. And, and so us, us kids thought, well, you know, if, if, if Simplot made it after eight years of school, why can't I, mom? Come on. I, I'm not sure this school thing matters that much. Um, some of you know the story of J.R. Simplot better than I do, uh, but from an eighth grade education stri to striking a deal with McDonald's, um, 
and, and becoming a pretty wealthy businessman. I, I think about uh, musical artists who, um, with nothing, like, like just a, a guitar and a prayer, get discovered somehow. Um, and and the, the connected digital world in which we live, um, these musical artists who get discovered making it big with, with just nothing. The picture of these rags to riches stories. Of course, Esther's rises is fairly suspect. Uh, it, it happens in a total imbalance of power. Okay, the, the common English Bible is clear in the second chapter that, uh, that this king who needed to replace his queen because he had dismissed her because she made him mad one day. Um, the, the common English is clear in telling us that a male servant suggested to the king to have all the beautiful and single ladies, okay, all the single ladies, um, brought to the palace brought to the palace and cared for by the king's attendant and choose from them the young woman who pleases you the most and she will be your next queen. Just a, a tragic story. Just a tragic story of, uh, of these women just being brought as items, as property to the king to be chosen and selected by this man. Well, Esther who was Jewish by descent, who had been exiled to this province with her Jewish family, who had been cared for by her cousin, Mordecai. Esther was one of these chosen women, one of these young, beautiful women um, who was chosen to come to the palace and to be judged by the king in order for him to find um, to find his next wife. But she had kept her heritage a secret. She had kept her Jewish identity secret. And, and what is kind of a, <laughs> an awful and demeaning process, these young women are kind of offered, offered to the king. And it turns out, chapter 2, verse 17, the king loved Esther more than all the other women. So she gets to be queen. So she goes from this orphaned, exiled uh, brought up by her cousin woman who really didn't have many opportunities to living in this palace and to being cared for well and being selected as the queen of this kingdom of King Ahasuerus. There's a sense of status transformation that is apparent even, even this early, early on in the story, right? Esther is certainly elevated, having gone from one station to the next, this, this is a permanent change of station for Esther. She, is, she has now arrived in this kingdom, from orphan to queen. But through the course of this journey, we only really see a woman who, who tends to win the favor of those around her. Um, she, she, if you read the book this week, you'll see how, how her, husband, her cousin cares for her deeply and, and wishes the best for her, and, and the attendants who took care of her at the king's palace. So favor her and care for her well and treat her well. Her status is elevated. Her status is transformed. And yet there's more to come for Esther. This seems to be her external transformation, her transformation of who she was on the outside and how she was seen by the world. Well, in chapter 3, a threat develops for Esther and her people. 
for the people, the Jews. There's an advisor to the king. Again, the king just kind of tends to listen to his advisors. Glimpses of not great leadership here. Um, and this advisor's name is Haman. Haman must have been pretty high up, uh, pretty high up in the world of this, of this kingdom, uh, of the king, because folks would kneel and bow down and show reverence and revere Haman when he would walk by, particularly at the king's gate. Well, at the king's gate, um, Mordecai had kind of come and moved into that area to kind of keep tabs on this cousin of his that he had cared for. And when Haman walked by and Esther's cousin Mordecai was there, Mordecai would be the exception. <laughs> Mordecai wouldn't kneel. Mordecai wouldn't bow down. Um, and Haman, Haman gets angry at this and hatches a plan, tells the king, there's this group of people who defy you and defy your authority. Well, that wasn't really the problem. <laughs> Haman just kind of got a little mad uh, that Mordecai didn't show him the deference and the respect that he felt he deserved. But he said, the Jews are against you. The Jews are the problem. And he sends out this royal decree. The Jews would be wiped out on the 13th day of the month of Adar. All the Jews in the kingdom would be wiped out. And Mordecai is distraught. Mordecai is, is left in mourning, uh, dressing in sackcloth, um, and sends word to Esther this line that is pretty incredible. Maybe it was for a moment like this that you became part of the royal family. Well, Esther is worried. Esther, Esther, and Mordecai says, why don't you go talk to the king? And, and if you're familiar with the story, this is one of the parts that, that gets a lot of mileage that's talked about um, sometimes in, in Sunday school. In the, in the kingdom, there was this gold scepter rule. Maybe you've heard this before. Uh, the gold scepter rule says if anybody walks into the presence of the king, if, if, the, if, if even his wife steps into the presence of the king, and the king does not hold up the gold scepter, then that person loses their life. If he's in a bad mood or if he doesn't want to see that person at that time, that that person loses their life. And here, in, in a moment of extraordinary courage, she decides to go ahead. And this is where I want to read our first passage. We're going to start in, in chapter 4, verse 15. We're going to read through to 5-3. Um, listen to... Esther, as she develops this plan and, and decides to, to move forward on behalf of her people, she says this, or, or the book says this, chapter 4, verse 15, Esther sent back this word to Mordecai, her cousin, go, gather all the Jews who are in Susa and tell them to give up eating to help me be brave. They aren't to eat or drink anything for three whole days, and I myself will do the same along with my female servants. Then, even though it's against the law, I will go to the king, and if I am to die, then die I will. So Mordecai left where he was and did exactly what Esther had ordered him. Moving on to chapter 5, the first three verses. Three days later, Esther put on royal clothes and stood in the inner courtyard of the palace, facing the palace itself. At that moment, the king was inside, sitting on his royal throne and facing the palace doorway. When the king noticed Gul, Queen Esther standing in the entry court, he was pleased. The king held out to Esther the gold scepter in his hand, and she came forward, touched, came forward and touched the scepter's tip. 
Then the king said to her, What is it, Queen Esther? What do you want? I'll give you anything, even half of the kingdom. What a change. What a change we see in Esther from orphan to kinship care to powerless maiden to a queen standing up for her people. The Jews were exiles, the Jews had no status. The Jews were forgotten and dispersed into this kingdom and powerless. And a couple of things happen here. The first thing that I see is in her newly found elevated position, Esther doesn't lose sight of who she is, of where she came from. Have you seen this? Have you seen this happen to people who are elevated to positions of power? People who in that moment and in that context, seem to lose a sense of where they came from, a sense of what got them to that point. In that seat and in that position, she does not forget where she came from. She, she chooses to act upon that, and, and from her position and her identity with her people, she is still recognized and still recognizes herself as a part of this Jewish people. And the second thing I, I notice is she's willing to, to bear tremendous risk in order to speak truth to power on behalf of the powerless. You know, power is an interesting study. Influence is, a, is an interesting study. It tends to be so corrupting in our human humanness. It's tough it, it tempts those who have to have it to, to rest in it and rely upon it while, while forgetting the humanity of others. For those of us who have power, for those of us who have influence, and we all have it in certain realms and certain aspects, it's critical that we assess our ability and, and the care with which we conduct ourselves. Go back to Esther's story. Esther asks the king for an odd request. Uh, when, when King Ahasuerus grants her anything up to half of his kingdom, she asks for a feast. Hey, would you come to a feast with me? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw a feast. Come with me and bring Haman, your advisor. Actually, it turns into two feasts, two banquets over the course of a couple of days. Um, but she specifically asked the king to be there and for Haman, her advisor, to be there, the one who had hatched the plan against the Jews. It's there where we see Esther make a plea for her life and the lives of her people. So we're going to skip forward to chapter 7. I'm going to read the first uh, six verses here. Chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. It says, When the king and Haman came in for the banquet with Queen Esther, the king said to her, This is the second day we've met for wine. What is your wish, Queen Esther? I'll give it to you. And what do you want? I'll do anything. Again, he says, Even give you half the kingdom. And Queen Esther answered, If I please the king, and if the king wishes, give me my life. That's my wish. Give me my life and the lives of my people too. That's my desire. We have been sold, I and my people, to be wiped out, killed, and destroyed. If we simply had been sold as male and female slaves, I would have said nothing. But no enemy can compensate the king for this kind 
of damage. <laughs> What's the king's response? King Ahasuerus said to, the, to Queen Esther, who is this person and where is he? Who would dare do such a thing? And verse 6, Esther replied, a man who hates an enemy, this wicked Haman. It says Haman was overcome with terror in the presence of the king and the queen. Here Esther makes her plea. Here Esther defends her people. Here Esther stands up <laughs> to the bully, confronts this one who out of his own selfishness and out of his own pride and out of his own disdain for Mordecai and the fact that he wouldn't bow down and kneel to him, she stands up to him and defends her people. In the presence of the king, she, she reveals Haman's malintent of this uh, belligerent bully intent on wiping this tribe from the king's kingdom. Because Mordecai had stepped on his pride, had damaged his ego, and had defiled his honor. But it took Esther, this one who came from no power, no position, no credibility, no influence. She's the one who stood up and took a stand for the ones like her, the powerless, the marginalized. And her story is recorded for us here in Mountain Home two and a half millennia later as we look and see how this lady was transformed in her life and for her people. <laughs> Again, I, I encourage you to kind of to read through this story through these, these 10 chapters. There's actually one lectionary reading in Esther. Out of all three years, there's one, one reading in, in Esther. Um, and it ends with some concluding remarks in chapter 9. And I, and I want to read those to you as, as, as we close up today. So Esther chapter 9, starting in verse 20 um, and, and reading through 22, says this. Mordecai wrote these things down and sent letters to all the Jews in all the provinces, both near and far, of King Ahasuerus. He made it a rule that Jews keep the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar, as special days each and every year. They are the days on which the Jews finally put to rest the troubles with their enemies. The month is the one when everyone, sorry, when everything turned around for them from sadness to joy and from sad, loud crying to a holiday. They are to make them days of feasts and joyous events, days to send food gifts to each other and money gifts to the poor. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting that the commemoration of this event, the commemoration of this holiday, a day of rejoicing, that the dispersed Jews in this far-off kingdom were not eliminated, were not by royal decree wiped from this kingdom, but were saved from their enemies. How do they celebrate that day? Send food gifts to each other and give money to the poor. This identification with the least, this identification with the marginalized, the ones pushed to the sides, the ones that, that had no power position, instead come to the table together. I'm not asking you to send food gifts to me. That's not the one I'm asking. But it's important for the church to break bread together, to know each other's name, 
to share meals with one another. What a way to commemorate this amazing transformation story where Esther stood up to the one who had worked to wipe the Jews from this kingdom. As we close today, I'm going to ask the praise team to come on up and we're going to sing, sing one last song. As they do, I'm left pondering the, the question, how, how can we be challenged today? How is this story of transformation useful, us, useful for us today? <laughs> I mean, we're not all kings and queens, right? We're not. Most of us won't ever have that kind of opportunity to save our whole tribe, to influence national policy on such a grand scale. We're not going to repeat the work that Esther did. But what does Esther model for us that we will likely have the chance to do? Esther cared for the marginalized, for the forgotten, for the tribe that had no power. She used her influence for good. I think there's also times when, when we might feel like we're marginalized or we're forgotten. Remember where Esther came from. She was the orphan. <laughs> she was in kinship care with her cousin, drugged to the palace to be served up to a man of power, plucked from a crowd with no choice, no agency whatsoever. That's where Esther started. But as guided by her faith and encouraged by her cousin Mordecai, her life transformed and blossomed into one that began to affect real change for her people. People that were exiled, living in the margins, forgotten. May we look for those opportunities in our lives as well to serve those who have been forgotten, to care for those that are on the margins. Let's pray, and then we'll sing together. God, thank you for today. And thank you for the story of Esther. It's not an easy one for me to read, um, one fraught with violence and disparity of power and taking advantage of one another. And yet I, I thank you for this story of a transformed life. A life that went from one that Esther could have easily been forgotten to one in which she was the one caring for the least of these. May our lives reflect that in some way. May you open our eyes to opportunities to care for people in that way. Be with us this week and may our eyes remain open. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Sometimes the words of that song are an accurate description of how we feel. And there are days when the words of that song are a declaration that we know that it will be well. Even when we don't feel it, it's well because Christ is with us. Amen? Wherever you find yourself today, we sing that, declaring it to be true. It is well with my soul. As I give the benediction, I invite you to extend your hands as a physical reminder that we receive this prayer this morning. Lord, 
May you transform us like Esther. Make us agents of change in serving and caring for those without power, those pushed to the margins for the sake of your people and for the sake of your kingdom. Amen. Amen. Go in the love of Christ. Thanks for joining us today on the Mountain Home Church the Nazarene podcast. Don't forget to visit us at mhnazarene.org connect if you'd like to connect with us and have a great week.